Today on the Matt Walsh Show, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez claims that we're running concentration camps on the border uh, down south. Is that true? Well, no, of course it's not true, but uh, we'll discuss. We'll try to try to figure out what exactly is happening down there and what's the right way to characterize it. Also, the Huffington Post just published maybe the most horrifying and disgusting, outrageous and offensive article that I have ever read, and I'm not exaggerating. And finally, is it really a good idea to tell kids that they can achieve anything they set their mind to as long as they work hard enough? Uh, I think probably not. And I'll explain why today on The Matt Wall Show. Are we running um, concentration camps at our border? That's what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez claims. And we'll take a look at that claim, that rather uh, stupid claim here in a moment. But first, I want to tell you about Big Token. Big Token is a new app. Um, it's pretty cool. I want you to, you should check this out because it's a new app that lets you share data about yourself, your interests, your habits, and then get paid for it. The getting paid for it is the highlight here because right now you already share a, a lot, ton of information with tech companies and they're the ones who make money off of it. So what about you? This is your information. You should be getting paid. That's where Big Token comes in. Here's how it works. First, you download the app. You sign up for a free Big Token account. I've done it myself. Uh, very easy to do. They walk you through the process, take just a couple minutes. Next, you complete actions to earn points. So actions include answering surveys, checking into locations, connecting your social accounts, and more. And then you can redeem your points for rewards, just as uh, such as cash or, or um, gift cards, or you could donate your earnings to charity if you're a very generous person. You choose what data you share with Big Token, and then you get paid for it. The surveys in the app will ask general questions about your demographics and lifestyle. Um, there are also surveys around specific holidays and events, um, all that kind of stuff. You know, the point here is that you're, it's your data. You have a right to it. If anyone's making money off of it, it should be you. And I think that's, 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 that's the point. Um, your data is always secure with Big Token. Based on the data you choose to share, you'll be placed into specific ad groups, and brands will buy access to those ad groups for use in personal advertising, and then you get paid again to highlight that point. If you want to uh, start earning money for your data, go to the App Store or Google Play, search for Big Token, B-I-G-T-O-K-E-N. That's one word. Download the app and sign up. Make sure to use my referral code. That's Matt Walsh. Again, search Big Token in the App Store or Google Play. Download the app. Use my referral code, Matt Walsh, to sign up, claim your data, and get paid. Okay, um, now let's try to get ourselves caught up to speed on this. Our friend Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was uh, doing one of her iconic Instagram live performances where she just rambles incoherently about whatever subject happens to pop into her head. And in the course of that, um, of that spectacle, she made a rather startling claim. Listen, listen to this. The United States is running concentration camps on our southern border. And that is exactly what they are. They are concentration camps. And um, if that doesn't bother you, I don't, I got, I like, we can have, okay, whatever. I wanna talk to the people that are concerned enough with humanity to say that we should not, that never again means something. And that um, the fact that concentration camps are now an institutionalized practice in the 
home of the free is extraordinarily disturbing. Okay, now this isn't really uh, the point, but personally, my favorite part of that clip, um, I thought the, the part where she is the most eloquent is, uh, is this part right here. If that doesn't bother you, I don't, I got I like, we can have, okay, whatever. I want to talk to the people. Very profound, profoundly eloquent. Uh, she truly is the voice of her generation. But more to the point, I suppose, she says that we are sending immigrants to concentration camps. And she says, never again. Concentration camps, never again. Now, any reasonable person hears that and immediate, immediately knows that it is a Holocaust reference. Jews were sent to concentration camps and never again has been the mantra among the Jewish people and among all people the world over saying, uh, we're never going to have another Holocaust, right? That's, that's, everybody knows that. You say concentration camps and never again, you are evoking the Holocaust, period, very clearly. But of course, it's inappropriate and absurd and hyperbolic and uh, manipulative and exploitative and, um, and, and any other words you could think of to compare immigrant detention centers to Nazi death camps. So people reacted to AOC's remarks negatively. Uh, they were very critical of it. And AOC, true to form, being the brave warrior for truth that she is, responded by lying and claiming that she was not referencing the Holocaust and that uh, it's not what she meant. And just because you're talking about concentration camps doesn't mean that you're necessarily talking about the Holocaust, which is technically true, right? I mean, you can have, if you want to look up the dictionary definition of concentration camp, it's not going to say a Nazi death camp. Um, technically, there are other concentration camps and, and it, it doesn't necessarily refer to that. But when you throw in never again, um, it's pretty clear the, the comparison you're trying to make. AOC followed up with a tweet saying, uh, and for the shrieking Republicans who don't know the difference, concentration camps are not the same as death camps. Concentration camps are considered by experts as the mass detention of civilians without trial. And that's exactly what this administration is doing. It's kind of funny to, he to hear AOC accuse anyone else of shrieking, considering she's the most shrieky uh, uh, politician in Washington right now. But never mind that. It, now, in one of the weirdest displays I think uh, I, I've ever seen, Leftists spent the day on social media yesterday trying to parse sort of the difference between concentration camp and Nazi death camp, claiming that AOC um, was talking about concentration camps, which are just places for the detention of people without a trial and not Nazi death camps. But this is obviously ludicrous for a number of reasons. First of all, everyone knows, as I said, everyone knows what comes to mind. Forget about dictionary definitions for a minute. When you say concentration camp, if we're playing a word association game and I say concentration camp, you're going to say Holocaust or Nazi or Hitler. That's, that's why people, that's the association we all make. And that's precisely why people use the phrase concentration camp in a context like this, because they're trying to evoke that imagery and the emotions that are associated with it. That's why she used the term because of those associations. 
Second, as I said, she said never again. That's an explicit Holocaust reference. Third, if concentration camps are just places where people are detained without a trial, then the county jail is a concentration camp, right? Um, the drunk tank is a concentration camp. Security at the airport is a concentration camp. We've really made the term into something ambiguous and innocuous, which is not what the left wants to do. They want, to, they want the term to retain the Holocaust associations, and they want you to believe that there is a Holocaust happening down at the border. That's their point. It's just that when they get called on it, they look for a back exit because they know they can't possibly offer any rational defense for the claim that uh, we're running, you know, Nazi, we're, we're doing a Nazi-like operation down on the border. Um, so here's the real question. Putting all that to the side, however you characterize these detainment centers, which is what they are, and I think that's the most straightforward way of describing them. They are centers of detainment, places where we detain people. So however you characterize it, if you don't like that, if you don't like what we're doing, what should we be doing in your mind? As it stands right now, we have detention centers or detainment centers that are used because there's a flood of people coming across the border. Some are sneaking across, some are claiming asylum. Well, we can't just let them all waltz into the country and then go about their merry way. And backing up for a second, this is another difference between uh, what we've got going on and a concentration camp because people, people are choosing to come here knowing what's going to happen, knowing that there's a, there are deten detainment centers and that's where they're going to end up. I mean, people come here. This is their choice. Generally, a concentration camp is, uh, is well, like with, in Nazi Germany. Uh, the Germans went in and they rounded up, not, uh, uh, they rounded up uh, people. They rounded up their political enemies. They rounded up Jews and, and um, anyone else that they wanted to kill or, or uh, get rid of. They roused them out of their home and they put them on train cars or buses and they brought them to these camps. That's not what's happening here. These are people who come to us, their own choice. They don't have to come. They can turn around and go home anytime they want. Do you think people in concentration camps have the option to just say, uh, you know what, never mind, I'll go home? If you have that option, you're not in a concentration camp. Um, so again, what's the other option? And even if someone's applying for asylum, well, those claims need to be processed and investigated. And during that period before the asylum is approved or not approved, what do we do with the asylum seeker? We can't send them home because, because that's where they're trying to get asylum from, Right. Uh, they're, they're, try, they're, they're trying to leave their home, okay? So they don't want to go home. We can't just let them go because then we'll never see or hear from them again. And then there's no point of the asylum process because they'll get a de facto asylum just by disappearing into the interior of the country. Um, so what's, what option do we have? We have to detain them while we process the claims. Or if they're sneaking across, then we detain them while we get ready to send them back. And how do we detain them? 
a lot is made over the separation of families at the border, but we don't have the facilities to give entire families their own little homes, their own little cottages to live in while we sort everything out. Uh, and as a matter of safety, you don't want to throw a bunch of kids in to the same detainment facilities as, uh, as you know, uh, as, as uh, a bunch of unknown grown men. We also don't even know if the kids who are coming across with, with the adults really belong to those adults. They don't always. There's a lot of human trafficking and stuff that happens at the border as well. So there are a lot of complications, and that's how families end up getting separated. Is it nice? Is it pretty? I guess not. But I honestly don't know what the alternative is. I've never heard anyone suggest an alternative. I've heard a lot of people complain about the situation as it stands right now, but I've never heard a better suggestion. I've never heard someone say, okay, here's what we can do instead. Because as I said, just letting them go, that is not a plan. That's not a strategy. But I've never heard a plan. If your issue is just with the conditions of the camps, if you claim that the conditions are not up to snuff, then okay, then complain about that. Call for better conditions. But AOC and the other leftists, they seem to be taking issue with the, with the whole practice of detainment itself. Yet again, they don't offer a better solution. It's like, I mean, think about actual prisons. Now, the stuff we got going on down at the border, those aren't prisons. But, um, but as a different example, if you think about prisons, the whole idea of a prison is kind of grim and ugly and, uh, and not ideal, right? I mean, in an ideal scenario, you wouldn't have any prisons because you wouldn't have any need for them. You're locking people in cages, not letting them go outside except for brief stretches. And they're, you know, they've, they've got people, men with guns trained on them at all times. Um, it's not a fun thing, but, but, uh, but what's the other option? I mean, it's very easy to walk into a prison and say, oh, this is horrible. I mean, you got all these people locked up and chained up, and this is a terrible. Okay, uh, yeah, it is kind of horrible, but what's, what choice do we have? Just let the murderers go free? Make them promise not to do it again? That's not going to work. You see, when someone goes and commits a serious crime, they put us as a society in a lose-lose situation because we don't want to have prisons. We'd prefer not to have them. No one has, uh, prisons are not fun things. But we also can't let this person go because they're a danger to society. So they're the one, they create a lose-lose situation where there is no great option. And you just have to make do and deal with the situation. And that's what they, they're the ones who do that by committing the crime. It's the same thing on the border. When people flood across the border into our country, even if they aren't murderers or, or whatever else, the fact is they are creating a situation where there just isn't any perfect or even very pretty way of handling it. They're doing that. So we can only handle it the best we can. We should always respect their dignity as human beings because we should respect everyone's dignity as a human being. But we also have to enforce our laws, and we have to do our due diligence, and we have to process claims when the claims are made, and we have to do all that stuff. It's really easy to complain about this, but suggesting solutions is a different matter. And, um, and by the way, I'm not dogmatic on immigration, personally. I'm not one of these people who thinks that, um, 
you know, every single illegal in the country right now should be rounded up and deported uh, regardless of circumstance. Uh, we need to build an 80-foot wall across the entire border like the Great Wall of China. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not that hard line. I mean, I'm, I do believe in protecting the border and enforcing our immigration laws. Don't get me wrong, but um, I'm open to any and all solutions. Personally, I'm, I'm willing to have that discussion. But the problem is that leftists, for the most part, don't have any ideas. They don't have any. They don't offer anything. They don't bring anything to the table. They just complain. And. Um, you know, they, they, they come basically, their argument with immigration, much like their argument with, with, with many other issues, is essentially just to sing the John Lennon song, Imagine. You know, imagine there's no war, imagine there are no countries, imagine there's no violence, imagine, I mean, just, just an all, just terrible, trite, stupid song uh, that is, is just very little redeeming about it. But um, that's their argument. But that's not an argument. It's like, yeah, we can imagine that. That'd be great. It, 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 it again, it would be great if we didn't need detainment centers. Um, it would be great if uh, the whole world could live in harmony with one another, holding hands and singing "Kumbaya" and all that. I mean, that would be fantastic. But that's not the reality that we live in, and so we need to. The reality is that we live in a world with countries, countries that. Uh, are not all the same and often don't get along. And um, so we need borders. Uh, and it just so happens that the country to the south of us, in fact, that whole region to the south of us, is not in good shape. And there are a lot of, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a lot of chaos and anarchy and drug cartels and violence and human trafficking and all this stuff. And so we have to be very careful about who we let through. And then when you end up with floods of people trying to barge their way in, we've got to take them, detain them, and figure, figure it out. Not ideal, but that's the way it is. All right, what else? Uh, let's see here. Well, three female athletes in Connecticut are, I just want to mention this briefly, because in Connecticut, these three female athletes are filing a discrimination complaint against the policy in the state that allows biological males to compete against girls, uh, which is something we've talked about many times up there in Connecticut. And they're saying that this robs them of medals and uh, that they should have won and uh, it's discriminatory and they're against it. And they're completely right, of course. That's completely accurate. Um, there just is the case that they make, and I, I mean, thank God that this is happening. I've been waiting for, for someone to step up and file a complaint like this and to force those who support the idea of putting this crazy, insane idea of sending, of putting biological males in female sports. Those people should be forced to go to court and defend that idea because it is indefensible. The case that these girls are making is a rock-solid indisputable case. There is no argument against them. As I've said plenty of times in the past, I have never heard, this, this is the fascinating thing about this subject, is that even though you have these, these laws now across the country and you find this increasingly the situation where boys are put in with girls at sports because they claim to be girls, even though this is happening and it's so common now, I have never heard a good argument for it. 
It's kind of like the immigration thing. I've never heard anyone suggest an alternative. Well, for this, I've never even really heard anyone even try to defend it. I don't even know what the, what, what the argument in defense is. I've never heard one. Aside from just, well, uh, these boys uh, say they're girls and it would hurt their feelings if they can't. That's not an argument. That's not even close to an argument. And because we can, we can just get rid of it immediately by saying, yes, but then all these other girls who now can't win because the boys, their feelings are hurt. And so you've got a lot more hurt feelings on the girls' side. So that's not good enough. You've got hurt feelings versus hurt feelings. And uh, there are a lot more hurt feelings on the one side. So that outweighs it. You got you to come with something else. You get, because then your next argument has to be, well, yeah, but the boys, you see, uh, their feelings matter more. That must be your argument. And that again, that's not an argument. That's just nonsense. There is simply no good reason to allow this. And there are a lot of good reasons not to. So I'm very glad that um, we're seeing this. All right, let's see. Uh, here's something else. We, we, we talked about this last week. And we, we talked last week about the sexualization of children, right, that uh, is going on, especially by leftists their agenda to sexualize children, to normalize pedophilia. And this is a, a theme that I talk about frequently, something I've been warning about for years. I didn't plan to bring it up again this week, but I saw this article in the Huffington Post, and I just can't ignore it. I, I have to tell you about it because it's so, I mean, I wish I had noticed this last week when I was talking about this because this is, this is exhibit a right here, okay? Here's an article in the Huffington Post. Allegedly a, a, a prominent and respected publication. The headline is, Are Pride Parades Kid-Friendly? Parents Say Children Can Handle the Kink. Children Can Handle the Kink. That is, that, that, that is a, a sentence written in the headline of an article on the Huffington Post. Children can handle the kink. Now, if, if you ever find yourself making that argument, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you are sincerely making the argument that children can handle the kink, then here's what you need to do. You need to go to NASA. And you need to ask if you can board one of their rockets. And then ask them to shoot you directly to the moon. You need to deport yourself. I don't know if it works that way down in mean, I'm not sure if they'll, but at least try. I mean, this is what you, you need to get to the nearest rocket ship and just deport yourself to the moon. Or, or really any, any, any heavenly body that is not the Earth. Because you don't even belong on planet Earth. If that's if that's your you just there's no place for you here. I'm afraid. Uh, let's read a little bit from this article. It says each year in the blaze, written by Brianna Sharp. By the way, Brianna Sharp is the one who thinks that children can handle the kink. Or well, she says parents say that children can handle the kink. Um, each year in the blaze, and if you're a parent uh, arguing that your own children can quote handle the kink then you just need to go to prison because you're an abusive, disgusting, horrible parent and your children are in danger because of you. Each year in the blazing sun of the Pride Parade in Nelson, uh, 
I guess this is in Canada. Uh, Pega, I don't know, Pega Wren is the name here. And her two young grandkids seek shade under the spinning rainbow parasols. Wren, a, semi, a semi-retired sex therapist, told HuffPost Canada, the parasols were a magical find and have come to symbolize the importance of this event for her family. Uh, blah, 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 blah. She says, I can't imagine a safer place for families to bring children. Um, but then the article goes on to say, anyone who has been to a parade has likely seen the procession of leather, animal costumes, kinky costumes in every hue, and more skin than is normally exposed in public. Now, it's interesting to hear them finally admitting this, because usually when you accuse pride parades of being overly sexualized affairs, uh, where there's people dressed up in bondage gear and stuff like that, because that's what she's talking about, usually when you say that, they'll deny it and say, what are you talking about? You're crazy. It's just a pride parade. People are just coming out, and kids are there. They're waving flags. It's just, it's, it's just you know, it's, it's no different than any other parade. Uh, it, it's perfectly family-friendly. Um, but here they are admitting that, yeah, well, there's more skin than what you'll normally see. And yeah, there are people dressed up in bondage gear, but, um, or dressed up, uh, you know, in, in leather animal. Co- Let's be clear about what that means, by the way. Leather animal costumes and other kinky costumes, quote unquote. So those are people who have a sexual fetish for pretending to be an animal. And then they engage in sexual exploits with people who have fetishes of copulating with animals. I mean, that's that's what that means. That's your, your, your fetish is to pretend to be an animal and you're with someone who likes to be with people who pretend to be animals. I mean, this is, this is sick, gross stuff that no person should be exposed to, let alone kids. Um... And then it goes on to talk. I'm not going to read. Actually, I, I can't. I was my plan was to read from this article. Uh, I can't do it because it's just too disgusting. But suffice it to say that they they go on to uh, uh, justify having kids there, saying the kids can handle it. Um, writer, educator, and publisher S. Bear Bergman told the Huffington Post Canada. There's absolutely no reason not to take our kids to Pride. It's a fun day. There are a lot of bubbles, rainbow streamers, and enjoyable performances and bondage gear. Uh, It's their right as queer spawn. And as a parent, I might want to take my kids to Pride because they might be lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, or two-spirit. Queer spawn? That's what you call your kids? What in God's name? There's a line here at the very end that I need to, I just need to read, and then we'll just be done with this. Um, If I can find it. Oh, here it is. Bergman says, first of all, nobody likes nakedness more than children. And we're just going to, you know what, I'll just, I'll just, I'll, I'll cut it off right there because that's the argument that this Bergman is making about the, quote, queer spawn. He's saying that, uh, well, children, you know, children love being naked. Children, uh, no one, no one loves nakedness more than children. No one loves nakedness more than children. Children can handle the kink. Okay. These are the arguments being presented. These are the arguments made by pedophiles. These are pedophilic arguments. These are arguments for pedophilia. I mean, it's right there in front of our face. They're not even trying to hide it anymore, guys. They're being 
very explicit about it. You've not now you've now got gay activists saying, yeah, sure, you got bondage gear and all that kind of crap at the pride, but yeah, bring the kids as they, they they love nakedness and they can handle the kink. That's an that is a pedophile argument. So when I say that the left wants to normalize pedophilia, I'm not exaggerating. This is not fear-mongering. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is just literally what they're doing. I'm just telling you what they're doing. And we have to decide if we want to put up with that or not. Um, let's see. One other, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention. There's an article in Time, Time magazine that I found interesting. The headline, uh, the headline is, we tell our kids that hard work always pays off. What happens when they fail anyway? And I was ready, I saw this article online and I was, I was ready to laugh at the article uh, when I first started reading it because it sounds like the typical, you know, oh, the poor kids, what happens when they start to fail? Well, you know, you, you tell them to get back on the horse and try again, right? I mean, pretty simple. But the point that the article makes, article written by, by Rachel Simmons, uh, it, it makes the point that we, uh, we stuff a lot of positive mindset propaganda into our kids' heads. We tell them they can achieve anything if they work hard enough. Um, we tell them that positive attitude and hard work can accomplish any goal. We tell them that they can do whatever they set their minds to and so on. Um, they can be whatever they want to be. When in reality, that isn't true, right? Now, the author Simmons gets into a lot of identity politics stuff, uh, talking about minority stu- students and discrimination and bringing like th- that sort of thing into it. But which things that I think are irrelevant to this issue because this is not a race. She makes it into kind of a racial thing. I I don't think it's a racial thing at all, but if we can put the SJW stuff to the side, the central thesis is correct and important that people actually cannot achieve anything they put their mind to. Sometimes you, you can really try very hard and still discover that you just don't have what it takes to do whatever you're trying to do. I mean, you can give it your all, Practice makes perfect, blah, blah, blah. And, and at the end of the day, discover that you're still not good enough. That, that does happen. It happens to everyone. I mean, the average person could practice day and night f- from the age of four and still, by the age of 19 or 20, not be nearly good enough for the NBA because only a very small fraction of all basketball players will ever make it to the NBA. And those are the people ever, in the NBA, right? If you make it to the NBA, All those people worked hard. They all are hard workers. They've all been practicing since the moment they could walk. Um, They're all determined. They all have ambition. They've all got that. But the ones in the NBA, they also just have natural skill and ability and talent. Uh, they, they, They have something else that even if you practice as much as them, you might never have. Um. Or you could put all your heart and soul into math and science and never get a job as a NASA engineer. You could try really hard to be a writer and still never write anything that's any good. Um, I see this sometimes with people. People will send me emails, you know, asking how I got into writing and uh, working in media and and doing whatever it is I do. I don't even know what I do. Uh, But sometimes people will ask, send emails, how'd you get into that? And they'll tell me they want to get into it too. And um, they'll send me links to the blog that they've been updating every day for the last five years. 
and the YouTube channel they've been vlogging on every day since 2016. And um, they'll show me all the hard work and effort they put in. They, 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 you can tell they, they've been working at this hard for a long time, and which is admirable. But sometimes I'll, I'll look at it, and um, it's very clear to me that it's just not good, unfortunately. It's, they're, they're just not good at this. And even after all that time, they're still just not good at it. And so they're not ever going to be successful doing it because they're not good enough. And that, that's also an important reality that our kids need to understand. It, it is possible to simply be not good enough for something because you're not going to be good at everything. And sometimes what you want to do doesn't match up with what you can do. And that is a really important lesson. The way to be successful at anything, in my mind, is, is to be undeniable. It's not just to work hard, it's to be undeniable, to be so good that you cannot be denied, um, that you will absolutely get a spot on the team, get the job, grow the audience, whatever it is you're trying to do. You're undeniable, you cannot be denied, you are so good at it, you are, you are, you're better than most everyone else trying to do it. That's how you succeed. Be undeniable, that's the key to success. But hard work is not the only ingredient necessary in being undeniable. You also need skill. You need talent. You need a certain flair for whatever it is you're trying to do. Um, you need to be good, in essence. And uh, what if you aren't good? What if, what if you'll never be good at the thing you're trying to do? Well, at a certain point, you need to realize when to move on. Um, I think uh, it's kind of like, you know, I, 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 I like to fish. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of fishing. And it, this is a mistake you can make as a fisherman or, or as an angler is the politically correct term to use. As an angler, a mistake you can make is uh, it's almost, there is a mistake in fishing where you could have too much patience. Like if you want to fish, you have to have patience, but you can also have too much patience because you could, you could find a great spot. You've got shade, you know, you're on the water, you find a great spot, there's shade, there's structure in the water, there's tree stumps, there's uh, uh, maybe an old broken down dock or something for the fish to hide under, there's cover, there's weeds and stuff, there's a, there's a steep ledge which goes into the deeper water so the fish can come up. Uh, it's a, a wonderful spot, you see bait fish around, great spot, that's where you should be able to catch fish, but you cast the lure out, you don't get any bites, you cast again, you don't get a bite, you cast again, you don't get a bite, um, and then for, you stay there for like an hour or two and you, you never get a bite. Uh, that's a mistake. You stayed too long. Because even though everything was right, you had all the ingredients, you did, you did everything right, but it's just not working. It's just not happening. Maybe it should, it's just not happening for you. And so you need to know when to cut your losses and just go find a different spot. Because there's a spot, there, the fish are somewhere. You will find them. They're somewhere on the lake. You just got to find them. And I think it's the same thing. It's kind of the same lesson we need to teach our kids, which is, um, it's important to try hard. It's important to put in the effort. It's important to do things the right way. Those are the ingredients. But sometimes, even if you have all those ingredients, the spot you chose, the thing you're trying to do just isn't right for you, and you got to go find a different spot. And you need to know when to do that, when to switch things up. Think about all those you know, uh, reality talent shows um, where they, uh, you know, they'll have people come on. There are some people who are really good. And then you always have those people who the only reason they made it on the show 
is because they're terrible at what they're trying to do. And so then we all can laugh at how bad they are, which I think is kind of cruel and awful, honestly. But um, well, you find these talent, whatever singing competitions or talent shows, you find these people that get up there and they're on TV and they're trying out and they're awful. And then they get shut down by the judges and they start crying and they say, oh, I've, been, I've been working at this since I was three years old and I'm not going to give up. When really, no, someone should have sat them down long ago and said, no, give up on this. Don't give up on life, but just give up on this. You're not a good singer. You never will be. Uh, give up. Do something else. Find something else. I think if you, if you, if we never are willing to say that to someone, then we set them up for a lifetime of failure. And that's something that is, this is where the schools should come in. Uh, if we're sending kids to schools for, uh, you know, seven hours a day, nine months a year for 12 or 13 years, uh, the schools should help them figure out not just what they want to do, but what they're good at, what their skills are, what their aptitude, where their aptitude lies. Uh, but unfortunately, the schools are not doing that. And so you've got a lot of kids who graduate have no idea what they're good at or where their skills are. And so they're just kind of deciding randomly what they want to do, even if they have no aptitude in that area whatsoever. So I think that's something that the school should be doing as well. All right. Um, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Godspeed. President Trump kicks off his bid to make America great again, again. We will examine what the 2020 campaign looks like. Then Americans celebrate the end of slavery and the left goes so woke, it is now rejecting Woody Guthrie. Check it all out on The Michael Knowles Show.